Amen. Good morning, everyone. You may be seated, please. Thank you, Don, for leading us this morning. Um, Don was scheduled to lead this morning worship, and he had a, a really rough week. Uh, he's, he was not well with his health, but um, thank God, um, uh, God helped him. He pushed through, and I, I kept asking, are you still okay? Uh, he said yes. He kept, <laughs> yeah, he pushed through, and, and we are blessed by your life. We are blessed by your um, leadership here. And how amazing is that grace that makes us jump, clap, shout uh, of joy. And the more we understand of this grace, the more we cannot contain it. And the more we have to, to say, to sing, and to, and to shine before the others. Um, I would like um, to start the message today. And I, I, want to, I want to start with a question. And I want to hear the answers from your side. I know there will be awkward silence because it's always a, a fear of saying something wrong, but it's just a question. No, nothing wrong about it. But what did we celebrate it? What major event did we celebrate or ought to celebrate this past week? And no, it was not the miracle of Sporting being the champions. After 19 years, that's a truly miracle. And I know some of you were there at the party. I hope you were. Wear your masks and all of that. I'm looking at you. <laughs> but what major event happened in the history of the church this week? Pentecost Day. Pentecost Day. Almost there, but no, not yet. Yes, the ascension. Thank you. The word Pentecost in Greek means 50th. So it's celebrated 50 days after Easter. But this past Thursday was 40 days after Easter, and we celebrated the ascension of Jesus. In Portugal, there is a national holiday. People stop working in August, and it is celebrated the ascension of Our Lady Virgin Mary. And the only thing that's correct in that sentence is the name Mary. But the country stops to celebrate the ascension of Our Lady Mary. Yet, we don't hear much about the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And even myself, it's not something that I was also used to, to stop, to ponder. And very honestly, it was not even something that I had planned to speak about this Sunday. Because it was, honestly, it was still not there in my heart, even for me to remember that day. But it was last weekend when I was speaking with my father, and I was even asking him, what, what should I preach next Sunday? And he reminded me, well, on Thursday, we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. Why don't you reflect a little bit more about it? And so I, 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 I read a bit more about it. I heard a few sermons. I meditated about it. And I understood and I discovered how immensely rich how awesome this was and how this has so many implications to our faith. So this is as much as a message for you as it has been for me recently. And I do pray that God will write it down in your heart. Press it there. God, speak to our hearts this morning. Tim Keller puts it this way. 
the ascension detonates everything else Jesus does. Everything he was and is, is detonated into the whole world. It is not the absence of Christ, but the increase. It is not the loss of his leadership, intimacy and his protection, but the magnification of it. And this sentence might have big words and we will... We will uh, we will dive in a little bit, but I want this, sen this sentence to be kind of the um, outside package, the umbrella to which we want to explore. What does it mean that the ascension is not the absence of Christ, is not the loss of leadership and intimacy, but is the magnification? In other words, is the increase of it. So this morning we will focus on it, on what happened Let's, um, yeah, let's read what truly happened that day, why it matters, and how it unleashes our faith into the world. So I invite you to either open your Bibles or, or follow here on the screen. And we are going to read in Acts and in the book of Luke. Now, Luke was, um, he lived in the time of Jesus, but we only know of him a few years after. He traveled with Paul. Um, he was among the first missionary trips, and he saw churches um, um, being opened, uh, being born, and he found the necessity to accurately, um, um, uh, as an historian, find out who this Jesus was. So he wrote what, what now we know the Gospel of Luke, we can call it the, a biography of Jesus. And then he also wrote the book of Acts, a biography of the beginning of this early church. And he finishes the Gospel of Luke, he finishes his book by describing briefly this episode, the Ascension. And then he opens up the book of Acts by describing with a bit more of detail on it. So we will actually start it by reading in Acts chapter 1. This is what he wrote. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, so the Gospel of Luke, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way 
you saw him go. And then we go a step back in that first book of Luke, and he describes it very briefly. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left and was taken up to heaven. So they, the apostles there, they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple, praising God. So what do we find here? After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he stood for 40 more days, restoring the faith of those apostles, of his disciples, who had seen him brutally being killed on the cross. He appeared here and there in different occasions to many different people, once to more than 500 people at the same time, to prove that he was actually alive. He sat down at the table, he allowed them to touch their wounds, he ate with them, and he stayed there for those 40 days. And as it reached the end of that time, they are in Jerusalem, and Luke records this last conversation they had, where the disciples, not yet fully grasping God's plan, they ask Jesus, now that we've seen you um, alive again, risen from the dead with great power, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? With all that power, is it now that you're going to join an army and drive the Romans away and extend the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus replied, no. <laughs> now I must go. And I will send the Holy Spirit to empower you. And then you will go. And you will go to expand the kingdom of God that I have been talking about these past few years. And you will not expand it with armies, with weapons, but you will expand the kingdom of God with the words that you heard from me. And you will expand it with the love, with acts of love and service toward others. So as Jesus says the words and he's being taken up to heaven and they stood there, I mean, who wouldn't? But two angels come say, why are you still looking <laughs> into heaven? I like this irony of them. The same way you saw this Jesus coming up, he will come down one day. And they were amazed and they returned home and they worshipped. So let's break it down, this episode, into a few questions that might arise. What really happened to Jesus as he was taken up to heaven? What did not happen is that he was just did not um, levitate out the ground. He did not went to um, the higher heavens somewhere there. He did not space travel. But the Bible said that he ascended. And even the Bible uses the words it's used here, and it's a bit uh, theological, but it's important. The, the Hebrew use, it doesn't say Jesus went to heavens, because the word heavens meaning the skies, deep into the universe, but it says Jesus went to heaven. And many times in our translation we find with a capital H. Meaning, he went to a different reality, transcendent to what we humans are used to <laughs> be. We've never been there in heaven. The realm where God is. No longer bounded to the space and time. So Jesus did not, end, did not went to the deep universe, 
He did not go to another galaxy. He did not enter a black hole or anything. He went to heaven to be with the Father. And you find in the scriptures on and on more of what this ascension means. Ascension wasn't simply Jesus going home, but it was Jesus being enthroned in heaven. In other words, that was the beginning of his coronation as a king. And if you run through scriptures, you find repeatedly over and over the expression, he sat at the right hand of the Father. An expression that means he sat in a place where he had all authority, all power. So this is no ordinary seat. As Jesus ascended, he was crowned the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. There is no power in heaven. There is no president. There is no CEO. There is no big company that has as much power as Jesus has. He won the victory on the cross and he ascended to heaven to be enthroned as a king. Revelation says he is there with all power, all glory, and all majesty. So if you ask me, who is right now in dominion over everything? I think the Bible is quite clear. Jesus is the one in dominion over everything. He is the king of kings. He has authority over every single thing in this world. And these are not just my words. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, God raised him from death and set him on a throne in heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. And he has a final word on everything. Amen? Amen? This is what the Bible says. But now I believe we have some critical thinkers in this room. And some of you might be asking, well, if Jesus is in dominion over everything, if he is the king of this world, how come this world is going from bad to worse? Isn't Jesus a good king? Doesn't he want peace on earth? Doesn't he have the power to control everything? How is this world in this state? And you're telling me that Jesus is in dominion over everything. Well, the ascension of Jesus opened up his coronation ceremony as a king. And the king sits on his throne and starts building the kingdom the kingdom of god is being built through ages and right now we as a church we that have embraced jesus as a king we are jesus means to invite others to join this kingdom Right now, the task is to invite others to get to know this king because there is a kingdom that is being built. And the reason why we see so much evil in this world is because not everyone is accepting Jesus as their king and their savior. And even we that recognize him as a king, even we, many times, <laughs> we've... 
we fail and we fall and we still don't fully grasp it. So we, in our day-to-day, we are still not living the kingdom life as fully as we should. But remember what the angel said. One day, this king will come out out of his throne. He will come to earth and everyone will see him. And he will come and he will complete this kingdom. He will complete what is left to be done. And those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, King over their lives, they will join this kingdom forever. And then he will wipe all tears. He will wipe all pain. And he will establish a perfect kingdom. No more violence. And those that now have accepted, they will join in eternally. And those who have rejected now Jesus as their king, they will be away from that kingdom forever. And if Jesus was such a good prophet, if Jesus was such a good teacher, if Jesus was such a good friend, if he was the best of it all, why didn't he just stay here on earth? Why did he have to go? Why didn't he stay so we would all see him and we would all more easily believe in him. Well, if Jesus had to stay here, he would be in one spot at a time. If he, Jesus was in Riverside Kashkai's church this morning, he wouldn't be here in Riverside Lisbon. If he was in a home group on a Wednesday night, he would not be in the other home group. If Jesus was in the middle of a township, a favela in Brazil, he would not be with the home cells in Iran. But as Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to his natural place, no longer bounded to time and space, meaning Jesus is now everywhere and he knows everything. So when we understand the ascension, when we understand why he had to go, not just to be the king over everything, but to be a king who is everywhere, then we start to realize how important it was that something like this happened, that Jesus had to go so he could actually be here and everywhere. And the Bible says we have now the access and the privilege to come before this king. If, you, if we were to come before a CEO or a minister or a, a president of a country, we would feel the weight of that formality of stepping in the room and being face to face. And maybe we still don't get it when we, we, when we hear and we think about how much bigger it is that we can step in, before the throne of God because we don't actually see it and many times we lack that that vision and that formality. But the Bible says that right now, through prayer and through intimacy, through time with the Word of God, we are actually stepping into the presence of this King. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, So let us all come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now there is 
somehow access to the throne. We don't see it with our eyes, but we see with the eyes of faith that He is enthroned in heaven and He hears our prayers and He is present. And the Bible says, come boldly. You can come. He hears. He knows. And one day then we will see Him face to face. So why does this matter so much? Because as Jesus ascended into heaven, He left something here. He commanded something. He commissioned something to His disciples. We read in Acts. And this also applies to us. We can go back to the, the, the Acts um, scripture, please. And we see in this final conversation, back, 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 in verse Acts 1, verse 6, one more. You see the apostle saying, Has now the time come for you to restore the kingdom? But Jesus shifts the conversation and he tells us, No. Now it's the time for me to go. I will send the Holy Spirit and then you will be my witnesses. And then you will go everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus did not left earth without instruction. He did not left with an omission, but with a commission. With other words, he left us with something to do. With a job description, with the mission itself. And this mission was you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit and you will go to be my witnesses. So this is another wonderful thing about the ascension. And that's why I like in that expression that I showed about Tim Keller when he said it detonates everything about Jesus. Because after the, the ascension, the next chapter in God's history is about his teachings. His love being spread throughout the entire world. Ascension needed to happen so that the gospel could reach the end of the earth. And I'm going to show you a video. And this video is, there's a project called Gospel Map. So it's pretty cool if you like history and geography and you're into these things. But this video shows... Uh, a, a very brief and quick timeline of Christianity being expanded throughout the world. And so they, they did it not just based on the Bible, but based on other documentation that exists that knew where people, groups of people, church were being established. So what you will see is the world map, and you'll see a shade of white representing Christianity there. And you'll see other shades representing other empires, other religious movements. But this is a cool tool for us to understand how, how did it all happen until the present age.
society, si school, eh? <laughs> through the church, through us, Jesus continues to do. He continues to teach. If you teach someone about Jesus, he is talking through you. If you teach someone about Jesus, people are hearing the voice of Jesus. If we serve someone, Jesus is serving. He's doing something. And we are called, all of us, to be his representatives. To be his ambassadors. And again, these are not my words. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> God has given us God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are speaking for Christ when we invite people to join the kingdom. We are speaking for Christ when we tell people, what's this all about? The true gospel, the true word of God. And even when Jesus said, and this is, a controversial verse, but when Jesus is telling his apostles, you will do greater things than I do. Definitely Jesus is not saying that they will do something better or in better quality than what Jesus is doing. I mean, he was God. How could we? But he's saying because you are going and the gospel will be multiplying and will reach the end of the earth. You are doing more than what I, Jesus, did during these three years. And he left this task to small broken vessels like us. But these small broken vessels were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years after, a gospel started spreading in, a gospel that started spreading in Judea, 2,000 years after, in a corner of Europe, in Lisbon, a corner of Portugal, in a corner of a street, there's a church talking about God's word. God's chapter of making us his ambassadors started with the ascension. And when we look at it, we cannot just, we stay in awe. Ascension is about Jesus delegating his task to us. And as he left, he sent the Holy Spirit to help us to do so. What a privilege! But in this privilege, understanding this reality, there's two things that I find it so important for us to hold on and to understand. First is that this privilege should humble us to the dust. This should humble us to the dust because when we understand the privilege, we should also understand the responsibility. How are you and I doing in that task? How well are you and I doing in the task 
of sharing Jesus and serving and loving one another and people to see Jesus in us, in our church. You know, people can say in the office, Pedro says he's a Christian, but you know what? When there's some trouble, Pedro is the first to shift the blame to someone else. When Pedro is in charge of a team and he needs to dismiss someone, he actually does it without caring for that person and he leaves that person hanging. Pedro skips his daily work without setting a warning on his study group or project group university. He just doesn't come and lets the other do the work for him. When Pedro is trying to sell something to the client, he doesn't tell everything. He kind of spins the conversation so he can sell what he wants. Pedro cheats on his friends. Pedro cheats on his wife and everyone knows about it. Pedro says he's a Christian, but in reality, he's just like us. I was talking to Mike this week, and he was talking about an outreach they did last weekend um, to Park des Nações in Orient, and they had a survey. And correct me if I say something wrong. But they had a survey and there was a few about spirituality, and there was a few questions they had. And there was in there three questions where people were to give their own um, opinion, positive, negative, or neutral, what do they think about the church, about Christianity, and about Jesus, right? When they asked what people think about Christianity, some said negative, others were neutral. Some had some idea Christianity might not be all bad about it. When they asked what do you think about Jesus, some of them actually said something positive, others said negative, but some people had an idea, Jesus, uh, if he existed, he was a good prophet, a good teacher, someone that did good. But they were surprised that when they asked about the church, the majority of them asked, we have a negative opinion about it. Because in this task of spreading the gospel, the church did many things that if we talk about it here, we would be very ashamed of it. And not just at the church of history, in our own lives to one another. How well are we doing in the task of a church being the bride of Christ, being the ambassador, representative of Christ? How well are we doing this task that people have such bad opinion about us? When we are morally ugly, we're telling the world Jesus is morally ugly as well. So when we understand the privilege, may we understand the responsibility that we bear. He gave us this responsibility. He empowered us with the Holy Spirit. There is more than potential to do the work well, but we need to be connected. We need to be humble. We need to learn how to hear him and not to do the things by ourselves. We need to learn how to hear him and navigate ourselves even when things push for our guts. But second, this reality, understanding this privilege, this should also raise us up. Because as Jesus said, we, we were given the authority from Jesus. So when we speak the words of God, we speak the words who created the universe into existence. When we speak the gospel, 
We speak the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. When we speak the Bible, we speak of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I've just been mentioning Bible verses. So we got something that changes anything and anybody. We have the truth that liberates people. Jesus gave us that authority. We have it. We have the truth that liberates. And this is what Jesus left for us as a commission. All authority in heaven and on earth was given to me, Jesus. Therefore, you, Pedro, you, Mary, you, Masud, you, Julia, you go and you make disciples the way I did. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey these things. But know that I will be with you until the end of the age. So when the disciples were asking Jesus, will you, Jesus, do something? Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Will you now? Will you, Don? Will you, Sean? Will you? And this is not just about me, you. This is about us as a body of Christ. We should love one another. We should bear with one another so that others see that when we love one another, others see that we are true disciples of this Jesus we proclaim. So I come to a conclusion. And hopefully this message unleashes our faith. What was the disciples' reaction when they heard of these things? We find the first time when Jesus actually tells them that he had to go to heaven. We find this conversation in John 14. They were very distressed with the idea that Jesus was going to heaven and they thought they were being alone. And Jesus tells them, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. And then Jesus promises them what I think is one of the most beautiful promises that we can find in the Bible and we find in John 14. Jesus says, I have to go, but my father's house has many rooms. If that was not so, would I tell you, would I be telling you that I have to go and prepare a place? But if I go and I prepare a place, I will come back to get you so that you will be with me always and wherever I am. Jesus left one of the most wonderful promises. I have to go, but I will come back one day. I'm preparing a room and I'm preparing now, right now the rooms for the many, many peoples that are still to join the kingdom because God wants to save people. And one day I will go and you will stay always with me. Then you will see me face to face. Then you will see me with your own eyes and then there will be no more pain, no more sin. And then we will be worshiping together for all eternity. This is a promise of Jesus and it should be sealed in our hearts. So the team can come. 
And I really conclude just by saying the king is preparing a place. And this truth should fool our hearts and our minds, should flood our spirit with hope, and should push us to share with everyone this eternal kingdom that has started and is coming. So the disciples, when they first heard of these things, they were distressed. Jesus left them the promises. But then we read in Luke, after they saw Jesus ascended into heaven and they understood these things, then they came back. And it says in Luke 24, so they worshipped him. And then they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. And this is my prayer to you. When we understand the ascension, we understand the king being enthroned, a king that sees everything, a king that sends his Holy Spirit, a king that empowers us and, send, and tells us to go. So we, this should fill our hearts and we should also go and worship and tell people about everyone. This mission is still ongoing. Will you join? Let's pray. Father God, when we face such truths, when we understand better and better the history you have for all humanity, when we understand your plans, Father, we just, we just stay in awe. And Father, there are so many things that in the present moment we do not understand but then when we look back, when we reflect back at what you have done, we want to stand firm now and declare that we hope on what you will do forward in the future. And right now, Father, you gave us the privilege to write a little bit more, to write a few more lines in this chapter of history gave us the privilege to participate, to partner with you wherever we are in, here in Lisbon or in our own countries. You gave us the privilege to carry your word. And Father, we want to understand. We want to understand that better. We want to be humble before such privilege. We want to be humble because we know we are being seen by our family, by our friends. We are constantly surrounded by people that are questioning the purpose of their lives. We are surrounded by people that have no hope after death. We are surrounded by people that do not understand where they come from. And Father, we have the keys of truth that you gave us. Empower us, Father. Fill our hearts constantly with joy and with worship and with praise so that we stay constantly connected to you so that everything else we do, we reflect you clearly to others. We want to be your ambassadors and we ask your help to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us worship together.